Well, good morning, and uh, let me read to you the first couple of verses again from our chapter, which is John 19. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Seems to me... uh, pretty appropriate to have this passage from John 19 before us on the first Sunday uh, of a new year. It's the story, of course, of the cross, uh, the message of the cross, and it's it's good for us just to kind of restate the meaning and uh, the centrality of what Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 15 as that which is of first importance. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says that the preaching, uh, the message of the cross to those of us who believe it is both the power and the wisdom of God. But to those on the outside looking in who don't believe it, it's the very opposite. It's something that's weak, appears to be foolish. There's always the temptation for the rest of us to begin to think that That is the case as well. To your average person in the street, when they they hear about the cross or when they hear about Jesus, well, it's fair enough to think about that, say, at Christmas time. Don't mind the children dressing up as, as Mary and Joseph. But apart from that, most people look upon it as something that is insipid, something that's sentimental, that's weak, that's irrelevant, and that is not at all appealing to them or their lives. Particularly if you look at the crucifixion. Well, what a picture of of weakness. In fact, there are multiple sub-pictures, if you like, of weakness that are described here in this passage. Christ is helpless in the hands of the soldiers. They're, They're repeatedly hitting him. Uh, striking him they are abusing him and ridiculing him dressing him up in, in purple making this crown out of thorns and putting it on his head and, and bowing down in mockery uh, before him in Luke's account he actually says that they said many other insulting things as well and we don't need an awful lot of imagination to think about what some of these insulting things were that they said. And he's silent before that, and he seems powerless to do anything. He can't defend himself, and he appears to be helpless. All seems a picture of weakness. And then there's the actual crucifixion itself. You can't do anything when you're crucified and Your hands and your feet are nailed to a cross. I remember once uh, seeing part of a gangster movie uh, when an individual uh, was nailed to his garage door. And the message, of course, was, you can't do anything to stop us. We are in control. You're helpless uh, before us. And it just brought home to me how crucifixion makes that very point. Then, as we read, there's the humiliation of being stripped and your clothes taken away. 
divided up and then the, the gambling of the soldiers uh, for your tunic. These were all things the soldiers did to Christ. So why is it then that when the, the gospel writers insist that the message of the cross is something that is powerful? Well, look initially down at verses 10 and 11 here. It's the point where prior to the crucifixion, Pilate in his frustration is appealing to Jesus to speak to him. And he says, don't you know know that I have the power to release you? On the contrary, Jesus said, you would have no power at all, no authority, unless it was given to you from above. So, what I want to do this morning is rather than paint a picture of Christ in his weakness, I want to paint one that is a picture of the strength and the power of the cross of Christ. Unto us who believe, it is both the power and the wisdom of God. Well, initially, come with me back up north to Galilee, to the country of the Gadarenes. Let's meet that demon-possessed man again in the tombs, terrorizing the area. Nobody could tame him until Jesus came. And now watch him sitting at his feet, clothed and in his right mind. Watch again at sunset as they bring the sick to the house where he is and he heals them all with authority. Authority over demons and over disease and even over death. Who could forget the occasion in the graveyard when he called Lazarus, come forth. And it reminds us of his own teaching when he says, you know, you can't spoil a strong man's goods unless you first bind that strong man first. And here is the strong man himself. Look at him facing down the Pharisees and the religious leaders, calling them scathingly whitewashed tombs and hypocrites. Watch him in the temple as he makes that scourge of cords and he drives the money changers out of there, overturning the tables and saying to them, get out of here. My father's house is to be a house of prayer and you've changed it into a den of robbers. How how dare you do this? And now we see the greatest demonstration really of his power is at the cross. Paradoxical as that might seem, we need to learn to look at the cross not as weakness and defeat, but with new eyes to appreciate uh, its power. The Old Testament tells us that many waters cannot quench love and neither can the floods uh, drown it. And there were so many barriers, so many obstacles put in the way of the love of Christ for fallen humanity. So much resistance, so much opposition and evil stood in his path Yet, despite all of that, God's love shines through and shines on. 
And as one of the old hymns puts it, inscribed upon the cross, we see in shining letters, God is love. You think for a moment about about the prodigal son, that great parable that Jesus uh, related. Think about the older son who was so annoyed about what had happened. And imagine him saying to, to his father, you know, he took your money, uh, he despised you, for years you've heard nothing from him, and it's only now when he's in straightened circumstances and has nothing, he crawls back home to you and looks for your help. Now, is that weakness to welcome him back home? Or is it the strength of a father's love that would compel him to do that? I want to bring to your attention um, a verse from Romans chapter 5, verse 8, which says this. While we were still without strength at the right time Christ died for the ungodly now we've read the the narrative the history John's account of the crucifixion what this verse is is a commentary on the crucifixion it gives us insight and it gives us understanding while we were still without strength when we were powerless and when we were weak and when we were incapable of helping ourselves and incapable of controlling ourselves our, our pride and our, our our selfishness that's our world as well despite all its apparent advances in the grip at this moment of, of illness, this pandemic and all the fear and the death that that brings. All of which is ultimately the legacy of the grip, the tentacles of sin, that creeping evil and corruption that affects and controls all of us. And the only thing when we are without strength is that Christ dies for the ungodly and of course that is the unique thing about the gospel that is the only thing which can overpower it it is the power of the message of the cross and it was when we were without strength at the right time when we were on the the brink if you like of the precipice at the at the moment of greatest danger when, when th- things seem to be at their very worst, at, at Golgotha, when all hope seemed to have gone, at that time, something powerful occurs that saves the day. Christ dies for the ungodly. And you know, there is so much entailed in that. So, so many massive concepts in their own right. Redemption, freeing from sin's power, propitiation or atonement, which is turning away the wrath of God, or or justification, where the verses lead us to in Romans chapter 5 again, where it talks about us being justified by his blood. Now that means this, that everything that stood against me has been put to Christ's account 
and he became accountable for, for all my failure. What the law couldn't do, what nothing could do, what religion couldn't do, God did, condemning my guilt and my failure upon Christ at the cross. Conversely, when I see that, when I believe that, when I look to Christ in that way, I am justified. And what that means is this, it's not just that the slate has been has been wiped clean, wonderful, although that would be all my sins are taken away and removed. It's much more than that. Being justified means all of Christ's righteousness is put to my account and I am, I am credited with that. That is what it means to be justified by His blood. And that is the power of the cross. That I am put in a completely new standing a, a completely new legal status. Here we are, of course, the 1st of January. I'm, I'm giving this message. The day that things all changed as far as our legal situation with Europe is concerned. At the moment of profession of faith in Christ, the legal standing that I'm in totally changes. When I come to know him, I am justified by his blood. My sin is gone and all the righteousness of Christ is credited to me. It's an old hymn that says, Oh joy of the justified, joy of the free. I'm, I'm washed in that crimson tide that's opened for me. I'm reading at the moment uh, a book about the Nuremberg Trials where the Nazi war criminals uh, were tried after, after the Second World War. And in particular, um, the account uh, revolves round about one of the U.S. Army chaplains, a man by the name of uh, Henry Gericke. He, he was given the task of the spiritual and the pastoral care um, of these men. Uh, and in most cases, that involved right up to the point of their of their execution. I mean, understandably, he struggled with this role, uh, particularly in the light of the horrific uh, crimes that were recounted uh, during the course of the trial. Uh, he tells about the day that he was introduced to Rudolf Hess. Uh, Hess was uh, Hitler's number two, uh, his deputy, and uh, when they met, uh, he shook hands. And afterwards... He was severely criticized for doing that. He wrote later this. I was there as the representative of an all-loving father. I recalled that God loves sinners like me. These men need to be told about the Savior bleeding, suffering, and dying for them. And that, of course, is the story of the Bible. That the power of the cross's message can change people. He breaks the power of cancelled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood avails for me. Let me remind you, Paul writing to Corinth again, to people who... He refers to as being idolaters, uh, as being sexually immoral, 
as being drunkards, and the list goes on. And he says, and such were some of you, but you have been washed and you have been cleansed. Let me remind you of what he wrote to his friend Titus on the island of Crete. Cretans, who were known as being liars and and evil brutes, as being lazy and gluttons, and who eventually became models of good works, who adorned the doctrine of Christ, the power of the gospel and of the cross that did change people in their hearts. And this is the great message that we need to recapture again. The message that can instill hope and joy in our world of sickness and anxiety. And as far as we are concerned for us here at the start of this new year, it's for us to to reaffirm our belief in the power of this message. Uh, to believe it and to proclaim it like Paul I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes and to do what Jesus himself commanded us to do, which is to take up the cross daily, to take it up, all that it means, all that it represents, make it our own and follow him into this year with the powerful message of the cross. God bless you. Thank you very much.